Hey, this is Crispy Orling from Fidelo, where we have a passion for HR consulting and improving performance. In this episode of the People in Performance podcast, Bill Bannum and I are joined by Perry Timms. Perry is the founder of People and Transformational HR Limited. He is also the author of the book Transformational HR, a global TEDx speaker and advisor on the future of work in HR. He has been listed as one of the most influential HR executives by world-renowned organizations and is passionate about changing the work of the world. Perry Timms, welcome to the People and Performance podcast. Thanks very much, Bill. Great to be here. Chris, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited to have Perry on. Um, you, you may or may not know, Chris, I've, I've interviewed Perry before on the on the HR Chat podcast. He is a super awesome, very intelligent, charismatic, lovely human being. So it's nice to get him on this pod as well. Well, excellent. Yeah, I'm excited. I've I've read about Perry. I've heard about Perry. I've read about it with the work he does, and I'm really excited to have this conversation with him live and in person today. Your, your team is growing fast, is my understanding, so congratulations. And, and from what I've seen on social media, it seems to be a pretty happy place to work. Um, so my first question for you, um, just, let's, let's just start with a small one, shall we? Um, in your opinion, what makes for an effective leader? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that is a small one, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's ironic that quite literally, I just picked up a tweet uh, from Michele Zanini, who works with, with Gary Hamill, and he was asking about um, company mission and how often people can't recite it. It doesn't mean anything to them and it's lacking. So I think there's something about having a mission that sits in a space where it's bigger than the people who are there to help you deliver it. That means your leadership sort of tempo and influence is almost not as necessary because people kind of go yeah I believe in that and so our mission is all about creating better business for a better world but it's about people having a flourishing experience of work uh, and and believe me uh, Bill and Chris it, it is quite an easy sell when you say to people look that's the output of what we do um, uh, but I think beyond that then being an effective leader I think there's just this whole sense that you are working with people they're not working for you um, you're there to support, enable, coach, guide, and 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 you know, rough out the the uh, smooth out the rough patches with them. Um, uh, be there for them, uh, and almost be led on demand by them. So you don't impose anything that you are as a leader. You are sensing what makes the difference and what matters to them, uh, and, and that's how you kind of cut your leadership cloth. So I think it's about being in tune with what difference people want to make, um, being responsive to how people want you to lead. Um, then listening and supporting people to do their best stuff. I mean, I'd say that's as succinct an answer as you're ever going to get from me on that. <laughs> well, we love that succinct effort on that because that was a loaded topic. What makes it uh, <laughs> leader? So nice job. Way to be, way to summarize it back into us. So um, changing up topics a little bit here, you know, because you're, you have yeah. this wealth of knowledge. Um, I want to go into, you've spoken before about, you know, the concept that culture change is not being a, quote unquote, programmable thing. You can't just upload a new new version. Um, can you share why corporate overhaul, corporate cultural over, overhaul is so difficult and why, even to say, I guess, yeah. um, in many instances and, and why it's necessary? Yeah. 
So I do sometimes have a cringe moment, Chris, when people sort of talk to me about a culture change program, because I'm like, oh, um, you know, what levers are you pulling? What direction are you setting? And, and, and how are you changing it in the image of whose view? So um, there is a kind of phrase, I suppose, culture happens when you're not looking. It, it just appears. Uh, and I think it is the um, aggregation, shall we say, of hundreds and thousands, if not millions of actions and words and commitments and failures and things that people say you're prepared to walk past uh, that you might see. So, so culture, if it's in a not good place, um, has happened semi-deliberately, semi-incidentally. So therefore, how would you program it back out? Um, uh, I, I guess the only way I would say that corporate culture can be seriously changed is if you bring it into everyday thought conversation act and deed and you go is this who we want to be because if it's not let's act and and commit to conversations and do things in a different way so uh, i talk about our tiny little enterprises narrating our culture pretty regularly we talk about it almost every day we don't make it a oh here's an activity that's changing culture um, we quite literally uh, go into the sense of um, conversation mode about it, bring it to life, um, and uh, it manifests itself in things like our principles, our team agreements, our commitments to each other. Um, uh, and we address it if it feels like it's going off the track a bit. So, yeah, bring it to life, narrate it. But there is no program that you can change. It's all these million acts to overcome the previous million acts that have built it. Yeah, thank you for that validation. Um, you know, I totally agree with that with you there. And now, but because this is a focused conversation a little bit today about our HR teams, let's talk about, you know, as you look at that and as you bring it to the forefront with culture and with leadership, um, how can your HR team play a role in developing, you know, the organization or themselves to be more compassionate and inclusive in the office environment and, you know, provide strength to that company culture on that day-to-day -day basis through those thousands of interactions? Yeah, yeah. Great point, Chris. So uh, again, I'd say um, HR has got to be alive and very sensing about culture and about misalignments and about things that aren't in keeping, I suppose, with the nature of how you want to be. And I contributed to somebody's book recently. It's about business unusual. And it talks about some unorthodox practices that are really getting to the heart of what people want now from, from work. And it's much more than transactional, pay-related um, existence and much more into meaning and purpose and so on. So I think HR's got the chance to be really attuned to the things that are either pulling that apart or putting it together and really strengthening it. And again, I think naming them and, and bringing them to life in a way that isn't a policy or a directive, it is about awakening consciousness. It is about um, stimulating, I suppose you'd say, a, a sense of commitment from people to be the best self. And that includes, um, you know, recognising difference and including others and going into vulnerable and perhaps a little bit sensitive areas, but but talking them out. So I was talking to a client today and we are looking at performance reviews. There are quite new stuff startup and they're only just getting to grips with performance and we want to start from a point of complete transparency about how people are assessed how people are recognized and rewarded um, because why should you keep this away from people I think you know the more open you are it might feel a bit brutal and vulnerable and bruising at times when people 
get to sort of look at comparisons and think, why am I not as good as that person then in the rating? But I think you've got to bring it out and not have it secretive and so on. So I think you show more compassion and inclusivity when you're brutally and absolutely transparent about the things that go on inside that place. Excellent. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm going to have one follow-up here before Bill sticks in another question here. Um, one of the things that, that we see, and I just want to see if it validates with you too, is, you know, you talk about the startup that you just referenced there, you know, coming yeah. to grips with things. You know, a lot of times startups are just, you know, great minds coming together. They're thinking, they're just mm -hmm. forming, they're pulling this together. Mm -hmm. You know, do you, do you also find that having a common language about the way work gets done and the way people are viewed and, and this discussion. Do you think that is a benefit to an organization as they're, as they're pulling that together to help set the tone and you get that more compassionate, inclusive feel? Very intuitive follow-up, Chris, because you literally pulled a thread out of my head uh, that entered into the conversation with these two project leads that I had about a couple of hours ago. Absolutely, the key theme we were coming to is clarity. People need to know how clear the instruction, the standards, the behavioural expectations, and that doesn't mean that you prescribe it to a point that people are automatons or replicants of themselves, right? But but being clear about why you're here, how we operate, what really good looks like what outstanding look like and what subpar might look like i think it's really vital for people to make that judgment and assessment on where they are in the scheme of things where they can improve where they can um you know seek support and guidance and develop and so on so so absolutely i would go down that route be really clear in the expectation setting and engage and involve people in it when they're new to it they don't know what that looks like and so you have to kind of direct them a bit but once they're in it and they've started to play with the work and they understand the dynamic invite them to shape it so it feels like it's an extension of them and not just an imposition of standards and applicable routines and i think we're on to something then because they'll own it they'll improve it and they'll share and proliferate it yeah brilliant i think that engagement factor that you're just talking about that ownership of it and that clarity of it through you know full transparency really yeah. drives a lot of stuff so thank you thanks thanks chris so i've got a follow-up to chris's follow-up actually yeah. um, we're getting way off script here listeners but um this is very interesting um okay so uh perry you're in a situation where you're onboarding a new team member okay yeah um how how can you how can you be sure that they're following what's going on here um that they, yeah. they, they get it um and, and and how is that complicated more by the fact that um many organizations are now hybrid workforces where we're online yeah. and we're not we're not even maybe seeing their faces sometimes yeah I mean, that's a super question because it is um, super relevant, both in, like you say, hybrid, remote and even in fixed circumstances. Um, I, I'll give you a little example of something. And I thought, what? Uh, so we were talking about hybrid working and remote working and, and it was to a law firm. Um, and they were talking about how junior lawyers can overhear their more senior counterparts delivering some really good advice in a really good way. And they learn that way almost through osmosis and they're like how can we replicate that on demand online that's just not applicable we can't do it so we've got to bring people together and i stopped them in their tracks and went really what you're telling me is your learning and development and professional capability policy is built on hope and circumstance and, and wishful thinking and situational um you know proximity and serendipity that's not good enough 
enough. So so I think answering your question um, to that one, uh, Bill, I think you've got to get a lot deliberate about some of this, but not to the point that it's programmatic. Deliberate means it's intentional, it, it, people are aware. So if you've got somebody that's new, be very deliberate about the things they can expect on day one, on week one, on week three, uh, by week by month two, um, and really set out a pathway for them that they can still do discovery, they can still assemble actors that are perhaps more relevant to them in understanding something more deeply because they're interested in it, versus the trail that says this will help you get to competent confidence quickly, and here's the people you can draw in to help you out, here's the content that's going to get you there, because again, induction is often left to chance. We just hope people pick up what's right and relevant to them. Be deliberate, signpost, don't overwhelm them, allow them to pick it up and assemble it in their time, but give them some guidance to it. Awesome. So Perry, it's pretty hard to build all the data points that HR needs to track all we need to know about candidates and employees. And we've just been speaking a bit about data there, but Mm. I'd like to hear from you now. What what, what can HR and leaders learn from the information that companies can gather from from their customers? How can we apply customer-centric data-powered attraction lessons to the wider world of work? Mm, Terrific question. And again, I've often said um, it it feels a bit obscene that organisations know more about their customers than their own people, but that is the situation we find ourselves in. So, yeah, whether it's net promoter score type data or, you know, sentiment and customer experience insight, how quickly we get products to market and get proliferation and, you know, social shares and so on. Yeah, we've got so many data points for customers and not so many for employees, but I think we are starting to see the relevance. So I do think, uh, you know, pulse surveying and stuff that Josh Burson talks about when it's almost like a real time conversation where we can mine real time relevant data, not just linked to massive incidents like a COVID type response, but just more generally. Um, And I saw him talk about stay interviews recently as well, where we talk to people and say, look, what is it that keeps you here? Because, you know, we don't want to have an exit interview with people like you who are valuable and committed and and so on. So what, what is it? that's got that sort of magnetic pull that that keeps you with us so I think we're getting more of that Um, uh, but I think we probably need to um, not just rely on us coming up with those mechanisms I think we need an open dialogue that says to people in the workplace tell us about anything you want at any time because we don't want it just to be on drawdown interviews we want you to share sentiment as it feels right and as it happens to you because some of that came through in covid where leaders were you know just having open doors saying just come and drop in and talk to me about what's important and they've been described as moments that matter And I I think we need more of that. I think we need more moments that matter for people to share their insights so that HR can then sort of scrape all that data and go, we didn't even ask these questions, but look at the insight we're getting. Too much pressure here, not enough resourcing here, toxic leadership over here, junior managers with ridiculous expectations here. And, and use that real-time data to go, right, these are the pressure points leaders. Let's move some resource there. Let's get some support into that. And when people see that that has a cause and effect, you're on a good virtuous cycle, I think, to a much more dialogic exchange. So I think that's the kind of thing we can bring in for employees, which perhaps even exceeds customer-centric data. Perry, as we look to wrap up, we like to ask all of our guests the following. From a culture and people processes perspective, What does a high-performing company mean to you? So I think a high-performing company has multiple dimensions to the nature of that performance. So yes, 
profitability or frugality or spending within its budget or realizing high um, profit yields, but also how good are people at talking about its virtue, its community, its giving, its charitableness, its, its willingness to stand in the space of social causes. And also then I think the biggest dimension now is, is it good for the planet? Is it doing the things that are extracting and and taking assets from the planet? Or is it trying to do something good like offsetting and being carbon and climate positive? So I think that's a high performing organization. It isn't one dimension. It's not just stock value. It's all those other things. Um, Business Roundtable Declaration uh, 2019, if you want, Chris. Um, Shareholder value. No, stakeholder value. That's what I think high performing companies mean to me. Excellent. Thank you so much for that. And just finally for today, Perry, how how can our listeners learn more about you and all the awesome things that you're getting up to and all the wonderful books that you write? And I don't know what you get up to weekends, whatever else you want to share. So, uh, so yeah, there's, there's stuff on YouTube. If you search there for me speaking in public about things like this, um, write regularly on uh, medium, uh, post regularly on LinkedIn, occasionally pop up on uh, Twitter. Um, and at the weekends, uh, Chris might enjoy this one. Uh, I'm often watching the NFL on game pass. So I saw my Detroit lions almost get completely uh, smashed out of sight by San Francisco yesterday, uh, <laughs> but they nearly came back. Uh, so it was within eight. So, uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm watching the NFL on the weekends. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. You know, coming out of the the British football scene and coming to the American <laughs> NFL one. You got I'm, I'm a Chiefs fan. I had a nail biter oh, yesterday myself as they, as they beat Cleveland. Yeah. But uh, my, I do have one question that's that all of our listeners will want to know: Why okay. Detroit? Why Detroit? Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I often say that, Chris, because uh, winning is not a habit in Detroit. Um, so my love of 1960s American soul music uh, has its foundation in the Motown Empire and Detroit. So I kind of stuck with Detroit from that. So I love that music and I adopted the sports team. So I also like the Red Wings and the Pistons too. Awesome. Well, sometime we should go out and start singing some uh, some Motown together. It'll be you got it. <laughs> Anytime. I love it too. Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks. Chris. Well, I, I, I can support the Motown, but as a long term resident of Toronto, I don't know if I can get behind Detroit. Um, but still, <laughs> that just leaves us to, to say for today. Perry Timms, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the People and Performance podcast. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Chris. Loved it. Great conversation. This podcast is supported by Fidelo Inc., a consulting firm specializing in improving human performance. Through their products and services, Fidelo helps clients design, develop, and implement strategic integrated human resource processes and systems. Learn more at fidelo.com. That's F-I-D-E-L-L-O.com.